The Startup Life is brought to you by Target. No matter if it's household items to make your home more aesthetically pleasing or a 65-inch TV to complete that man cave, Target is the go-to place for high-quality products at an affordable price. Start your Target journey with a link in our show notes. Target. Expect more. Pay less. This episode of The Startup Life is also brought to you by our amazing partners at SCORE Memphis. Look, entrepreneurship is hard, and there is nothing like a mentor that can help you navigate those waters. And that is what SCORE provides. SCORE mentors provide years of expertise and have resources that will have you flourishing and profitable on your path to entrepreneurship. If you are in need of a mentor, give SCORE a call. The number is 901-544-3588 or go to their website at memphis.score.org. The link is there in the show notes. This week on The Startup Life. So I was looking for somewhere that I could sort of put down roots. Okay. uh, And that was central to travel from and where the cost of living was much better than New York. So Mm -hmm. that led me here. All right, Startup Nation. So let's take flight with our good friend Liz Kenmark, owner of Bendy Beast Fitness. The Startup Life begins now. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. (laughs) Oh, this you crazy mother... Hey, Startup Nation. Do you enjoy the startup life? Now you can let the world know with gear from the show. Choose from the label yourself, make your own look, and making money t-shirts to tell your story of your path of entrepreneurship. Click the link in the show notes to purchase. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We got a superstar in the building today. We have Liz Kenmark of Bendy Beats. What's going on, LK? Hey there. Glad to be here. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. So we're sitting here in your amazing studio, right? Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? I'm ready, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. So as always, Startup Nation, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. So Liz, first things first, ma'am. Tell us your story and your path to entrepreneurship. Oh yeah. (laughs) Where to even start that? I've actually been an entrepreneur for a long time. Okay. Yeah, so people now mostly know me as a fitness instructor, but I had a past life as a design entrepreneur, actually. So I went to school for that. So I I studied product design. Mm -hmm. Um, This is like a bizarre life path, but um, (laughs) my senior project, I designed something called Egg Pants. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, like the breakout (laughs) product. I hear that. (laughs) So it was basically just a little holder for eating soft-boiled eggs. I don't know if you've ever eaten soft-boiled eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Okay. So I get very different reactions on that. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a simple egg cup. But it kind of looks like little legs, and it mm-hmm. actually went really viral on blogs. Oh, nice. And I got orders um, like from the MoMA design store in New York before I even graduated. Mm-hmm. So I like went on this weird path of manufacturing a product and uh, selling it. Like I had an order before I even knew how to mass produce it, but right. I figured it out. Gotcha. And, uh, 
and did that. So I had this cool company called Design Glut. I brought my good friend from school in as my business partner. Mm -hmm. And we did that for about four years. Okay. Uh, but in the middle of that 2009 housing crisis, everything oh, crashed. Yeah. yeah. And so we were selling housewares to like very small boutique high-end like mm -hmm. houseware stores and right. then also to some of the big stores like Urban Outfitters and Target but the little stores went out of business the big stores stopped buying right I had a basement full of merchandise and no cash and right. it was just like oh right. yes I'm shifting my life now gotcha gotcha yeah. it's, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because you know when we talk about you know recessions and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh, a, a lot of times the discretionary spending part is the part that kind of yeah. bites the dust like oh, people yeah. really start to look for values and like you know really stick to well I gotta gotta have more groceries as opposed to what you were selling so yeah. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out so I wanted to ask you this so how did you shift from that right to what you do at Bendy Beast yeah so basically uh, we decided it was like a very tough decision but we were basically like we can't live like this anymore like we have no money, like it's too stressful, we're gonna mm -hmm. get jobs. Right. Uh, so the question then was like, what job to get, right? Because we'd been entrepreneurs, there were only two of us, we wore all right. of the hats. So it's like, I didn't know what to transfer that into. Mm -hmm. So I started applying for office manager positions okay. at design firms, because I felt like that was my skill set. Right. Uh, and I went into this web design company, I interviewed for the office manager position. At the end of it, they were like, why are you interviewing for this and not for a designer role? And mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know because I've only ever done websites like for my own work. I've never had a position of that. And they were like, we'll put together a portfolio and come back and interview again. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So I did. And um, at that time, another friend referred me a job that was like a digital designer. So I guess my confidence got built that I could do that. So I ended up taking the other job. but. Um, it was at this company called Longtail Video, a okay. tech startup in New York, and okay. I went on as like a um, entry-level digital designer and sure. did emails, and then sort of worked up to some user interface stuff, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so I did that. But it was just such a different culture from obviously working out of my house, like gotcha. making deals, being able to do whatever I, I wanted. Bet. I bet. <laughs> So I was, you know, I was happy because I was getting a paycheck, mm -hmm. but I also just, I think creatively was very stifled. Gotcha. But since I had a paycheck, I could try stuff. And um, I did gymnastics as a kid, so I've always had like a movements passion part okay. of my life. Okay. So I was like, well, now that I've got extra money, like I'm just going to start taking classes. So I started going to like circus classes and handstand classes and mm -hmm. whatever fun stuff I could find. Uh, and I ended up seeing a Groupon for a pole dancing class. Okay. Which was not something I ever thought I would do. Okay. Uh, but like weirdly enough, I knew, not well, but I knew a couple of the people on staff at the studio. And if it had just been one, that might not have even been enough to push me. But it was like two people, one from college and one from when I did gymnastics. It was like so weird that I was like, I'm just gonna try it. Okay. And here I am like eight years later and it's like my whole life, so. Of course, of course. <laughs> it, uh, I don't know, I just loved it. I, uh, I was challenged by it, but I also saw results more than I did in the circus kind of classes. Okay. And I think my teachers were also just very inspiring. Like it was a lot of really strong, mostly women who were like very entrepreneurial 
but not rigid in the way I was seeing at my tech job. So uh, I think that culture really spoke to me and just made me want to be there. So got you. Let me, let me ask you this: Do you find? Did you find yourself, even though you had the job at the tech company, something mm -hmm. like that? Did you kind of find? find yourself unemployable because like you had been an entrepreneur before not then okay. now, oh, now I do okay. <laughs> okay. yeah gotcha. that's a great question um, a little a year and a half ago at this point mm -hmm. I had basically decided that this fitness stuff was just not gonna work for me in mm. Memphis and I like couldn't take it anymore and I was gonna go back okay. to design okay uh, I started applying for jobs and that made me feel very unemployable. It was like, I've gone too far. Like, I, I, I got some feedback that was basically like, you know, your skills are right, but we just don't think you're a good culture fit. And that's gotcha. when I was like, it got really real. I was like, I've closed the door. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Kind of hard to go back to, yeah. you know, after being your boss, own boss and stuff yeah. like that. For sure. For sure. Now, you know, I want to ask you this because, you know, when I was talking uh, to Gary at SCORE, you know, mm -hmm. you know, great, you know, has been a great mentor to you and stuff like that. Yeah. He was telling me about Bendy Beast and what you do and stuff like that. And uh, he was saying that you make it a point to differentiate what you do from another industry. So I wanted to mm -hmm. kind of give yeah, you the yeah. platform to do that right yeah, now. Yeah, totally. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. So my real passion is pole fitness, right. which can be a very sensitive topic for mm -hmm. people. Like it triggers lots of thoughts it very quickly goes down towards pole dancing and clubs towards sex right. work towards like illegal towards you're going to hell towards <laughs> right. like you know it just escalates really quickly right. which in some ways i find interesting just because obviously there's a lot of unexplored stuff there that's mm -hmm. like why people get so fired up mm -hmm. um but the part of it that i really love is the empowerment part um, there's like there's a sexual nature to it sometimes mm -hmm. in that when people tap into like moving sensually, like they find power for themselves, but often it's just people gaining upper body strength. It's people, uh, just seeing themselves in a different light, like realizing that they went up against a challenge that they didn't think they could do mm -hmm. and they smashed it is right. like, that's what makes people walk away differently. So I think outsiders like assume it's so much about the taboo and the sexy side mm -hmm. and it can be, <laughs> but the part that has really struck me is just the way people change when they conquer something they didn't think they could do. and. Maybe if they felt out of touch or afraid of like sensual movement or even not being sensual but just touching a pole because there's a taboo there. Right. Uh, and then they did it and they were like, this is fine, I'm fine. The effect of that is they realize they can do that with other stuff in their life. Like other things that maybe they found scary or taboo, they can dive into and also conquer that. And to me, that is the real power. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, something happens in the studio where people realize they have that power and then they go out in their lives and like, I've seen it so many times. People, uh, they get out of bad relationships, they get out of bad jobs, they start like just living life for themselves. So that, it's like this kernel that like, I think because pole is so taboo and inflammatory, it like opens up a they special place. It has that connotation place. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But the types of people that are willing to face that like are open-minded people or mm. they become open-minded after facing it. So that's really the piece that I feel is hardest to explain unless you've gone through it. Gotcha. Um, but to me, that's the difference between people that really love pole fitness and pole studios mm -hmm. and people that are doing it as a profession. 
mm-hmm. who are usually not my clients. I do have some clients who work in strip clubs and you know, they're amazing, they're empowered, uh, but I also know a lot of stories about people that work in strip clubs that are not, and right. that struggle a lot with it, and it's really negative to their lives. So I have a lot of mixed feelings, you know, about that, but as far as students in my classes, usually people that do it as a profession are not the ones that are seeking a pole fitness class. Gotcha. Like, people that are Fair seeking enough. that community are looking for something else. They're looking for a challenge. They're Mm -hmm. looking to change their bodies. They're looking to just be part of an open-minded community. Uh, And that's really my goal with the studio. Like Everybody is welcome, but to me, it's about people that are seeking community and seeking to challenge themselves. I hear that. I hear that. And and I'm I'm glad you pointed that out because a lot of times, uh, Startup Nation, we enter industries and enter spaces to where there is some type of connotation or or taboo, if you will, like mm-hmm. you said, Liz. And you kind of have to fight through that a little bit. And yeah. I imagine probably, you know, you're originally from New York and coming down to the Bible Belt oh, South, yes. right? The <laughs> culture prob- shock. The culture shock, right? It probably was a, probably a bigger, you know, uh, thing to fight as opposed to if yes. you were back yeah. home or whatever. So I'm glad you pointed that out and working that part out mm-hmm. in your business. I think that's very powerful and very uh, important for Startup Nation to kind of understand. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that for yeah. sure. So speaking of that, you know, when you're speaking about, you know, pole fitness and stuff like that, Startup Nation, when we talk about Liz, Liz has, you know, she takes this seriously. It's a craft so much so that she has certifications in certain things. You know, I was looking on your website, you know, you have a pole fitness certification, flexibility training, yoga, RYT 200. If I sound ignorant to any of this, forgive me. No, not at all. But but anti-gravity yoga. So it really speaks to you know, pole fitness as, and you taking it very seriously yes. and, and always sharpening the saw, mm-hmm. always, you know, uh, improving yourself. So I want to ask you this because I think it's important for Startup Nation to understand the importance of professional development, always getting better. So when you take these certification classes or get these certifications, why is that important to you to, to, to always improve on your craft? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. a great question. Mm-hmm. And I think there is the piece of improving on my craft. And there's also the fact that my craft isn't just dancing. It's teaching dance. For sure. So I think there's an extra level of responsibility because I'm not that. just training myself. I'm training other people. And so to me, it's always about being the best teacher so that the words that I say actually communicate mm-hmm. or the way I demonstrate communicates. Uh, and also that what I teach is safe for my students for the long term. Because I have had many injuries, and that is a big Mm. part of why I have so many certifications and why I take it so seriously. Because pole is a new sport, and a lot of the tricks that uh, are sort of like the hard tricks, I used to compete. So the ones that are like considered highly rated are often not great uh, actually on the body. And so there aren't that many people that have actually been doing it for that many years. So I think I was kind of part of the first or second wave of people doing this for five years or 10 years and seeing the toll that that takes on the body. Uh, And I ended up having a really major injury. I had surgery in my neck and I had one of my discs replaced. Wow. Uh, I had a really bad herniated disc that was probably just degenerative, like just built up over time. So because of that, I take safety incredibly seriously. Mm, Like, I know it didn't have to be that way. Um, It's sort of because the industry was so new and none of us knew. But when I started being public about my injury, I got a lot of behind-the-scenes messages from other long-term pollers being like, I also have had that or I've had something similar and I haven't gone public about it. And I found that very surprising. So... 
since then, I've just uh, taken it upon myself to learn as much as possible. For one, so that my own body can do this for as long as possible, but also so that everything I teach, I feel is sustainable. And I can take responsibility for that and be like, if you do it this way, uh, you're not going to get hurt. I think that's important that, that you, you speak to the teaching part, like, you know, because, and taking that responsibility on, because you are, as an instructor, you know, that, that's a very important part to make sure that your clients, customers, how you prefer to them, how you refer to them, uh, are being safe and stuff like that. So I appreciate you sharing that. And Startup Nation, I hope you got that, you know, whether you're in pole fitness or some other industry and you're in a teaching, consulting, mm-hmm. coaching type of uh, space, be mindful of the responsibility of the coaching, of the teaching that you're giving to your clients and stuff like that. I actually have two quick follow-up questions, if I would. The first one is, um, you talked about the, the injuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. What made you keep going? Uh, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> that unemployable part Fair is enough. kind okay. of part of it. So I, um, I had made the decision to move from New York to here. Uh, I was competing a lot, pretty okay. seriously, and mm-hmm. I was traveling and teaching workshops around the country. And it sort of became clear it didn't make sense to base myself out of New York anymore because okay. I was paying so much for rent and had so little access to training space. Mm-hmm. And then I, was, I wanted to be gone all the time. So I was looking for somewhere that I could sort of put down roots okay. uh, and that was central to travel from and where the cost of living was much better than New York. Mm-hmm. So that led me here. Um, so I actually had bought this studio and started the renovation and like made these really serious life decisions, which was when my injury got diagnosed and Mm. I found out I had to have this really serious surgery and it was really unlikely that I was going to be polling at the level I had been. I didn't know if I'd ever get back to it or to teaching. It was like (laughs) the plan did not work. Like I had like set like probably my biggest life decisions I'd ever made. And then all of a sudden the world was like, nope so I had just a really like weird space where it was like well I've gone really far with this pole thing Mm -hmm. um do I go back to design or what and so I got certified then in yoga and in pilates and I honestly didn't ever expect to teach pole again but I thought at Mm -hmm. least that stuff I'd still be able to do after surgery uh and then I moved here because that just ball had already been set in motion and I just struggled so much meeting people uh, with the culture shock. So my first year, and I didn't even have a car when I first moved here. Gotcha. I like barely knew how to drive. Oh, it was right. very isolating. <laughs> so I basically just stayed here in my little studio and like rehabbed myself kind of because I didn't know okay. what else to do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and it actually went much better than I expected and I am back to doing everything before. Like there's some things that I just won't do because I feel like it's an unnecessary risk, but um, my recovery has been way more successful than I ever expected. So yeah, but I kind of stuck with it just kind of because I didn't know what else to do. Like I remember I was on the phone with my grandma when they were finishing up the studio and I was Mm -hmm. like, I think I'm going to tell my contractor not to put the poles in. Because I think I'm just going to do something stupid and hurt myself again. Uh, And she kind of laughed. And she was like, "Uh, I don't know. I think I know you. And (laughs) I don't think that's what you want. Be real with yourself, (laughs) man. Okay? Be real with yourself. (laughs) Understood. Really quickly before we move on, how old is the industry, the pole fitness industry? How old is it? I would say it's about 10 years. About 10 years old? Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's still kind of growing and stuff like that. a lot of things are being figured out. Okay. Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Liz, we talked about Gary at score and stuff like that. 
and Startup Nation, once again, if, if you need help in your business and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure Liz would, would co-sign to this. Reach out to people at SCORE. Yes. They do amazing work. Uh, even if you're not here in Memphis, uh, all around the country there are SCORE offices. But if you are here in Memphis, uh, Startup Nation, definitely reach out to the people at, like Gary and stuff like that for sure. But, you know, I'm pretty sure Gary's one of them. But I want to ask you this. Who are your mentors? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so probably my main mentor, her name is Jessica Shea. She's okay. been my business coach since January. Okay. Um, and we meet almost every week. She runs a business called Forward Counseling um, okay. that is a group of mental health professionals. It's a therapy business. Wow. Uh, but she has expanded it. She has, I don't remember exactly how big, but she's a good number of employees. It's very successful. So then she sort of took her learnings out of building that business uh, into just doing business consulting. Mm-hmm. Um So her process is really interesting because she goes into it kind of with this therapeutic, uh, I want to say eye and also ear, like she just has that ability to be sensitive to the stress of the startup life. Mm. Thank you for that plug. I appreciate it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And like, you know, the emotional side to it that I think often doesn't get addressed enough. Uh, Mm -hmm. But there are so many times, especially when I was younger in my design business, that I feel like if I had been more emotionally resilient, we probably would have made it longer. Mm. Um, So having someone that I can just, I don't feel like I have to bottle something up if I feel like, uh, you know, I'm just being like irrational and stressed today. She's like, cool, let's talk about it. And then that's just done and it's out the door. And then we go on to talking the business stuff. So She's been a very powerful mentor. She's done it herself and is able to just see, you know, probably like you, like when you go through this, you see everybody in their different phases, yes. but it's kind of the same story. Right. So. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. And she's the one that recommended that I reach out to SCORE. Okay. And get in touch with Gary. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. Appreciate that. So Liz, let's talk about something a little bit, because recently you had a major moment in your yes. business, right? Yeah. So something about a certain crowdfunding campaign yes. that you had. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so today is a good day. <laughs> and there's also a potential that today could have been a bad day because okay. I am running a 25-day Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. and tomorrow morning it actually closes. Okay. So when we schedule this interview, I wasn't sure what the mood was going to be today. Okay. <laughs> but I'm very happy to say incredibly positive we have met our goal absolutely uh, we just raised twenty five thousand dollars to fund all of the equipment in the studio absolutely so, all of the poles it's not just going to be a pole studio we'll mm-hmm. have aerial hoop aerial hammock i actually have one hanging up right, here right uh, we'll have weightlifting. we'll have yoga so all that stuff the equipment is fully funded and uh we were i believe last time i checked it was 118 people that mm-hmm. made that possible right I, I did see that uh i actually checked it this morning mm-hmm. right before i was on the way here so let me ask you this because you know I, I know it was kind of down to the wire. Oh yeah, for a little bit, right? So the moment you saw that it reached over that twenty five thousand yeah. dollar threshold, what was going on? What was the yeah? Your, well, tell, this is actually me. an incredible story. Okay, so let's hear I it. had kind of. I mean, given up is the wrong word. I had decided I was not going to give up. Because you do have the option with Kickstarter that if you don't think you're going to make it, Mm -hmm. you could um, basically close the campaign before it ends and then choose to relaunch it later. So if you feel like you want to do some homework and then set it back up again. Um, I had read some advice that said to do that, and I just thought about it, and I was like, nah. <laughs> like, right. We're going to grind to the end. I was like, I hear even that. if it's a public failure, like, we're going to do that. <laughs> gotcha. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. 
So I did, I did send out a message to the backers, though, that was just like, I'm going to be realistic. Like, I am going to ride this to the end, but this is what happens if we don't make it. Um, Kickstarter is all or nothing funding. So mm -hmm. if you don't reach the goal that you set, you don't receive any of the money, which gotcha. was why, you know, the deadline was so important. Right. So my contingency plan was kind of... Uh, I will start a GoFundMe, which is another form of crowdsourcing, but mm. you don't have to hit a cap, so whatever you get, you do get to keep. Gotcha. So it's basically like anyone who from this who still wants to contribute, I'll set up a GoFundMe. Mm. You can send money through that, um, and then I'm still going to take out loans because gotcha. uh, I need to renovate the building anyway. I was gotcha. planning on loans for that, so it's like obviously now I'll have to take out more loans. Right. and. We won't get to show this great uh, public support moment, but it's okay. You know, it was like, we're still going. So I right. sent that message out. And then from there, things started ticking back up again. Okay. Uh, so it was looking pretty good. And I think we were uh, a little over 3,000 out. Mm -hmm. And um, I had a private session here with one of my students. And she showed up and she was just like, I want to talk to you about the Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And she was basically like, so I think I could put it over the top. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, and then I was like, okay, like what rewards do you want? So right. we sat down. We did the numbers of like exactly how many dollars were needed to get mm -hmm. it to twenty five thousand, which right. was like um, a little over three thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was like, "All right, which rewards do you want?" And she said, "Which ones she wanted?" And I made a reward tier like right here in front of her that gotcha. was for that amount for all the things. Right. She clicked the button, funded it, and like I just screamed, and it was so great. <laughs> That's then, amazing. Yeah, and I was like, "All right, this uh, session is canceled," and we went to Ernestine's and just had a drink. And I, I was no like, wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. That's amazing. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. I, I know, you. Uh, especially, you know, getting down to the wire, it was probably like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, what's yeah. going to happen? But you pulled it out. And I think that's an important lesson, Startup Nation. Like, look, see it out to the end. Yes. Yeah. See it out to the end. Mm -hmm. You know, you never know what's going to happen. And so somebody... You know, once exactly. again, you know, came in with that $3,000 donation and right. here you are. You made your goal. Yeah, absolutely. That is amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. Yeah. I appreciate that. So I was looking at the Kickstarter profile and, you know, you know, your, your, your goal, you know, $25,000. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was looking at the profile and reading some of the stuff and I saw that you had stuff itemized. Like yes. you're going to use this for that and mm -hmm. use this. This amount is going to go towards this. This amount is yeah, going to yeah. go toward this. And I think that's important because a lot of times, you know, in Startup Nation, hear me out on this one. A lot of times when we ask people for money, we just say, hey, I need $25,000 right. and just like, just give it to me. Right. Yeah. But I think Liz, and, and this is just me. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that you were transparent and you had those itemized numbers, I think yeah. that helps let people know like, okay, I see where this is going. Right. So I feel a little bit more comfortable uh, investing in you basically, yes. right? So explain to Startup Nation that successful business owners are not only detail oriented, which you are, but they're also do the time to do research ahead of time before you open oh, yes. the doors. Talk oh, about that yes. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a... Uh this is interesting because I think especially with the Kickstarter, if people mm -hmm. have never done one before and they're just watching the social media progress, right. it may look easy. Like, oh, you just put up a Kickstarter and then 25000 flows right. into your bank account, right? right? <laughs> but <laughs> If uh, only. Yeah, if only, <laughs> right. So the piece that um, often gets missed is the planning. Right. Uh, so I'm glad you brought that up. And I have... Um, in one way or another, been planning this basically since October of last year. Like that was when I made the decision 
to go in and try to buy a building that could become a new studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bid at auction on the Shelby County tax sale. Okay. And um, I was, in fact, the only bidder. Uh, but I still wasn't sure if the project was happening because at tax sale, there's like a six-month redemption period okay. where the old owner could come in if they pay their taxes and get the property back. Ah. Or any of the creditors that were involved could also do that. Gotcha. So I was in this weird place that I was like, I think I'm doing this thing, but I don't, you know, nothing is secure. Right. I'm just not sure what's going on. But I got on the deed in December, and so then by January, I was like, well, there's a pretty legit chance this is happening, which is when I started looking for a business coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and she started really working with me right away on figuring out my values okay. and how I could make that something that other people want to get on board with, because I'm gotcha. trying to make a community business. So I for need sure. to prove what value I'm bringing to the community, not just like what product I'm selling. Gotcha. So we put a lot of work into planning that, and then when I decided I wanted to do the Kickstarter, that also became a lot of planning of how much to ask for, what exactly is the money going to. Um, There's kind of two pieces I need money for. I need money to renovate the building and then I need money for the pole studio equipment. Mm -hmm. And I feel that the community part of it is the pole studio equipment. So that's the chunk that got kickstarted for. Uh, And then, you know, putting together the list of all the contacts to reach out to, uh, deciding the tone and messaging. It's it's been like literally months of planning. So uh, Mm -hmm. while it can seem like this sort of thing just uh, starts and finishes, there's often a lot of iceberg below the water you don't get to see. Absolutely. I I think a lot of times, you know, and I make this lame joke all the time, but uh, I think a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs think it's like start a business, video montage, success. And it really, it really really doesn't work that way. Yeah, I'm like, no, I didn't sleep last night because of that video montage. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I'm so glad you pointed that out for sure. So let me ask you this because, you know, I, I, well, tell me about Polcon. Yeah. Right. And so because I know that it recently it was just recently in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be in New Orleans next year. So yes. tell me what that's all about. Yeah, so there's this awesome event called the International Poll Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's been going I don't know, I want to say seven or eight years. I may be wrong, but somewhere in that ballpark. Gotcha. And the woman that runs it, I actually met her at one of my poll competitions. Okay. We were both in the same category, and we both did songs that were, like, from Rocky Horror. So I immediately was like, this woman's awesome, we should be friends. Right. (laughs) And I didn't have any idea that she was the person that ran Mm -hmm. Polkon. But, you know, we obviously got along from that, and we kept in touch. Mm -hmm. And... I had gone a few times, but I didn't really appreciate it when I lived in New York. Okay. Because when you're in New York, like, people from the pole world all over the world are just coming through. They come visit. They come train. Right. And so, unfortunately, I always took that for granted mm. that I had this cross-pollination of learning from the best people ever. Gotcha. So, going to PoleCon... All these people converge, but it doesn't feel that different from being at home if you're in, like, New York or L.A. Because you kind of just always have that. When I moved here and there was basically none of the pole culture I was used to. Gotcha. And then I went to PoleCon, it was like water, you know, you're like, oh, I can learn, everybody's here, this is so great. Right. So that gave me just this whole new respect for this event that um, 
for people in the big cities, it's cool. But for people everywhere else that mm-hmm. are maybe just polling by themselves at home or right. maybe you're in a small community, to get to go to a convention once a year where uh, the best of the best are there, you can take class from them, you can see them perform, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Awesome. So that's this cool event. And after moving to Memphis, not only did I appreciate it more, but I also realized not only did I take the poll community in New York for granted, mm. I also took the LGBTQ community in New York for granted. Really? Okay. Uh, in that, like, I um, I consider myself bisexual. I consider okay. myself genderqueer. Like, I just don't really fit into any of the oh, boxes. Gotcha. Um, but I'm also not really gay or lesbian. So I've never fought to really be visible or to have that a huge part of my identity. Because I okay. felt like... It just didn't really impact my professional life or my rights or anything, so I just kind of didn't talk about it. Gotcha. Okay. I moved here, and I felt mm. suddenly way more uncomfortable. I was like, oh, there aren't really people that like gotcha. look like me or act like me, um, and it became more important to me to make that part of my identity. Okay. And... With that, I actually, me and a friend started a Facebook group called Queer Poll. Okay. It was basically for anyone who's in the poll industry that feels uh, like that's part of their identity and maybe they don't have a safe space to talk about what they're mm-hmm. going through. Right. Just a Facebook group. We did it kind of on a whim, like we were talking at dinner and mm-hmm. we were like, yeah, let's just do this. And tons of people started reaching out, like people we never expected. A lot of like the bigger names even in the industry were like asking to join the group and we were like whoa, hold on. (laughs) Like, you know, we're not the only ones feeling this need. Uh, And so sort of as a result of that, I reached out to Colleen, who is the owner of PollCon, and was like, what do you think about us doing a queer poll showcase? Uh, And she was all about it. So Mm -hmm. um, last year, I actually ran the first event that was at this big event that I've loved for years. Uh, We actually had a curated group of about 15 people who identify as queer performing, and it was so powerful. It was one of the best things I've gotten to experience. And so then the latest PollCon just happened this year. Right. I also curated it, but because of all the studio stuff, I didn't feel that I could go to Denver. Right. uh, Which is where it was this year. Right. um, Which was a huge bummer to not be there. (laughs) A bit. But... Uh, like I said, I was still able to curate the showcase. Uh, a lot of people I know went and had an amazing time. And uh, it's been a really great link to still feel a part of the greater community, even though at the moment my energy is really in Memphis and trying to get the studio going and projects going here. I hear that. I hear that. Thank you for sharing all of that. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I really appreciate you really trying to immerse yourself in uh, the city and what we mm-hmm. do and stuff like yeah. that. So I really... I, Personally, I appreciate mm-hmm. that for sure. Quick question before we go to break. What did you learn from your worst boss, teacher, or mentor you've ever had? Worst. Worst. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, that, that did jump into my head. I learned, honestly, to walk away from a job that wasn't right for me. I hear that. Yeah. That's what I learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got fired. I did. But honestly, I had already told my boss that I wanted to leave. I went, This was my first, actually my first job out mm-hmm. of college. Okay. And my egg pants thing was taking off, but mm-hmm. uh, I sort of got scared into also taking a full-time job that was not a great culture fit for me. And uh, 
I was on like a three month test period and like about three weeks before the end, I asked my boss if I could talk to him. I was like, you know, this just isn't working out for me. I'm going to write out obviously the end of this period, but I don't want to renew. And before those three weeks were up, I got fired, uh, which felt weird. I was like, you can't fire me. I was just trying to like amicably end this when there was already an end date. But I remember as... And the job was in New Jersey, and I didn't drive. That was when I got my driver's license, actually, was for that job. Mm -hmm. So it was like a pain in the butt to even get there and get home. And I remember I was on this long train ride home after getting fired, and like there was this gut part of me that was hurt, but then there was this other part of me that was like, I hated this job anyway. Like, why right. am I upset? Right. Like, like I wanted to walk away. <laughs> I was like, I wouldn't have had the guts to quit. Right. Like more angrily you know like I was like like very quiet and like all this stuff but it was just like honestly I wanted to go and he let me be free like you know who knows maybe in three more weeks I would have chickened out and been like well I have all these student loans like Mm -hmm. just see this as a blessing so uh that was really it It is like if it's not a good fit let yourself go from it and don't fight for it uh, as much as that was very strange to me in the moment. That was what I learned out of it. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on the Startup Life? So oh, far? this is awesome. Awesome. Happy okay. to chat. Cool, cool. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're getting great value from Liz's content, but we got to pay a few bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Binge Podcast Network. Startup Nation, Kenda and I, along with our daughter Zoe, have this thing called Target Fridays if she's had a good week at school. We stop by the snack bar for popcorn and mermaid ices. Startup Nation, don't judge me until you've tried them. Those ices are really good. Anyways, we then head over to the toy section so my daughter can add to her LOL doll collection. My daughter is a pretty good student, so you can imagine that we have spent a small fortune on LOL dolls. However, I can take solace in the fact that Target makes it affordable to buy those LOL dolls and anything else we need as a family. That's because Target believes you deserve quality at an affordable price. And when you're entrepreneurs like us, that's extremely important. But great deals and quality products are not exclusive to the brick and mortar version of the retail store. Target.com has even more exclusive deals that you can appreciate. And when you spend over $35, shipping is free. And I know we all love free shipping. We love to purchase the amazing kids clothes for Zoe from the exclusive to Target Cat and Jack line when we go online. So the next time you listen to the show and you are reminded that you need something for your home, start your Target journey with the link in our show notes where you can expect more and pay less. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So Liz, let me ask you this. Tell me everything about Bendy Beast. First of all, tell me the name. Like, how did you come up with the name? Yeah, okay, this is a great story. So (laughs) when I was living in New York and I started teaching sort of independently, um, Mm -hmm. my name for my business was NYC Pole Contortion, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly because it was really great for SEO. Like, it had NYC, it had pole, it had contortion. Right. Uh, From what I knew from working in tech, often the URL is actually one of the very top priorities for where Google puts you in the listings. Okay. Uh, So that was that, right? But then I moved to Memphis, so NYC Pole Contortion, like, as my handle for everything, was just terrible. Right. Right. Especially (laughs) in this town. Especially in this town. It wasn't even, like, okay and weird. It was just bad. It was like, nobody wants to hear about this. Yeah. (laughs) So... 
uh, I was thinking about what to change it to, and Bendy Beast kind of made sense because I do flexibility and I right. do strength, and it just was a little bit more fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started using that not just as my business name, but also as my stage name for performing. Okay. But really, I made the switch just because the old thing just couldn't work. You know, gotcha. I was like, oh, I've really got to rebrand everything. Right. Understood. <laughs> like th- this town is really one of those. Like it has a lot of pride. Yeah, which is like great. That, you know, which is really so, great. Like, but if you go against that, right, exactly. You're hear about oh, it. like you either best friend or worst enemy. Exactly. I promise. Now for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that for sure. So share with us some of the services and, and the mm-hmm. stuff that you teach that you provide the community and stuff like that. Tell yeah, us a bit about yeah. That. So as with the name Bendy Beast, I'm mm-hmm. really passionate about both doing flexibility and strength training. Okay. Uh, so pole is very much a power sport. It's a lot of strength. You're lifting your body weight up off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of why that can injure you is you're doing a lot of potentially overuse and really specific pulling motions Mm -hmm. to lift yourself up. Uh, So flexibility training is really important as a balance to that. Uh, So I also teach yoga and I also teach deeper flexibility like contortion. Um, And those are kind of my specialties. So both of those things will be available. And we'll also have strength training, just weightlifting, um, that I think is really useful as cross-training for pull, but also so that people realize, like, this is just an open-minded gym. Even if touching the pole is not right for you, Mm -hmm. you don't have to come to pole class. You can still be a part of our culture and get a great balanced workout. Like, everybody needs strength and flexibility. Right. Uh, It's just a matter of finding the apparatus and the class that's fun for you and makes you want to come do it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to ask you this because I saw this on the website. You know, you said that, you know, uh, it's in your your FAQ, Mm -hmm. you know, Frequent Highest Questions. And you say that, you know, you don't necessarily have observers yes. come into classes. Yeah. Share why you have that in place for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, this gets asked a lot. People mm-hmm. are like, it's often, it's like my boyfriend wants to come watch class. Can he come hang out? And right. it's like, no. I mean, but I also get asked just, can my friend come? Uh, can my mom come? Can mm-hmm. my kid come? Right. And for private lessons, I'm totally happy with all those things. But right. For group classes, so much of it is creating a safe space where people feel free to face these uncomfortable things, like looking at themselves in the mirror can mm-hmm. be a lot. Trying to climb up a pole and struggling and feeling weak can be a lot. Right. Uh, so it has to be a safe space where people feel like they're willing to take those risks. And if there's somebody in the room who's not participating, then they don't feel like a part of the team and it can really make the team unwilling to take risks. And I think that's something that can apply to like all businesses. But the second people feel like they're being observed, uh, they change. Whereas if everybody in it is doing it together and they see everybody else struggling as well, then they're more willing to jump in and push themselves a little bit more. Gotcha. And I've just seen it too many times. So I do not allow observers because it makes people unwilling to try and be their best. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to ask that because I figured it was something more of a cohesive thing that you wanted to make sure everybody's like, you know, in the same space and be willing exactly. to try and stuff like that. So yeah. that's why I wanted to ask you about that. So tell me about uh, Paluminati. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. About that. So yeah, when I first moved here and I was sort of struggling to make things work and I was struggling to find teaching positions, mm-hmm. I had a friend who invited me to a Jukin Wars show at okay. Rumba Room, okay. uh, which is right down the street from okay. here. And it was cool. It was like there's 
just this big clear space mm-hmm. at Rubber Room, and there's a bunch of people hanging around in the wings. Right. And at the beginning, it was like all the beginners just kind of jumped in and showed their stuff. Right. And then as the night got later, the dancers that were really good like battled each other, and it was more mm-hmm. serious. And it was so fun, and I really enjoyed it. And I think it was one of the first things I saw here that was like, okay, I get this. Like this reminds me of New York. This is inclusive. This mm-hmm. is cool. And it also wasn't super planned, which I loved. It was like people just jumped in and did their thing. And gotcha. I was like, maybe we could do something like this for poll. Like okay. I could just set up the poll and it could be like this. Like it doesn't have to, I don't have to super curate or choreograph or any of those things. We can just kind of open it up to the community. Gotcha. So that was my idea. I had found that Memphis was a little bit culty in its... Uh, insular social groups mm-hmm. so I called it Paluminati in many ways just as a joke off of that it's gotcha. like, well, I'm not allowed into everyone else's culty social group so I'm gonna make my own there you go there you go <laughs> and I think the humor in that helped gotcha. fair enough fair but enough I wanted my idea was to have um very much like Jukin Wars, like it was open in the beginning, people mm-hmm. could come out, they could play, they could learn stuff, and then later I wanted to have like a poll show, like with some of the better performers. I couldn't find enough poll people here to run a show, which ended up actually being the best part about it, because since I couldn't do that, I just was like, well, I'll take any performer who wants to come be a part of the show, and it became gotcha. a variety show. Mm-hmm. And that was really the most interesting part about it, was that there were people doing acro yoga, there were people doing different forms of dance, and then there was pole. And seeing that all together, I think, really helped put pole in another light. That's like, oh no, this is just like all the other stuff. This is just a fun way to dance and move. And it brought some unexpected people together, and that was kind of the core thing. Like... The show was much better received than me trying to reach out about teaching, so mm-hmm. I kind of threw all my energy into that, and it helped me meet so many amazing people and realize that this could be supported here. Like Maybe people weren't interested in classes yet, but maybe that's because they hadn't seen it in the way that I wanted to right. present it yet. So. The show really gave it sort of a different culture, and that's been really powerful. Awesome, awesome. The thing is about Memphis is like, you know, when, when people come from somewhere else, it's like, we got to, like, who is that person first? We need to get to know you a little bit yes. first. And so when you have stuff like that, it's like, okay, they're not so bad. We'll, right. tr- we'll try you out, see yeah. what you're about. And then we're like, oh, yeah, this person's awesome. Right. So, you know, and then we kind of accept you and adopt you as our own. Yeah, like yeah, that. exactly. So, that's right. First, it- everyone will, and now I get it, everyone <laughs> right. will 100% stand back and right. be like, we're going to see what you're going to do. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's yeah. not personal, but... Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. But, but awesome. What, what do you think about Memphis Jukin? Like, oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I have never <laughs> seen it. I mean, I think I maybe had, like, there's like the Apple commercial, right? But I just never okay. thought about it. Okay. Um, but I think it is so cool. And I think maybe the coolest part about it is just what a strong community it has built. And mm-hmm. it's also given a lot of Memphis folks, like, heroes. Like, seeing Absolutely. some of the really famous guys, like, do well mm-hmm. uh, has been so powerful to people. And I love that. I mean, I think Memphis really needs that. Like, I've just heard so many times, like, you can't make things work. Like, there's often a real <laughs> pessimism. And I right. think Jukin is one of the places that has really shown people, like, oh, wait, no, you can, like, do something. And, like, right. you can actually be successful, not just here, but, like, in the bigger world. So. Right. Yeah. The reason that you went to Hat That is because, uh, like, growing up, 
we see this all the time. Like honestly, it could be after a big uh, high school basketball game uh -huh. or something, and there's a neighborhood like McDonald's, mm -hmm. and that entire parking lot will get taken over, and yeah. like it'll have a whole like battle right uh -huh. there. You even have like you know, like even like me, I couldn't do it. I'm I'm not the dancer, uh -huh. but like sometimes they have like a guy over to the side, like he's like a remote control or something like that, yeah, like he's yeah. operating uh -huh. the guy. So yeah, it, it's it's something that's been ingrained in our culture for a very long time, and it's something mm -hmm. that we're really proud of. Yeah. So for sure. So I'm glad you kind of got to take part in that a little bit. Uh -huh. I want to ask you this because in prep for our conversation today, and something that you've been repeating over and over in our conversation is like you have a community business. Yes. Yeah. And so I want you to explain what that is for you and why is that important to you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think so much of it has come out of like feeling pretty isolated when I moved here. Okay. And I think just another thing I took for granted in New York is I had been there a long time. I'd been there like 11 years and mm -hmm. I had built a lot of connections. Right. And when I moved there, I was in college. So it's like in college, you're just softly introduced to a new place because everyone's new and everyone's right. trying to for meet sure. people. Uh, but I think it was just very different to like move like in my 30s and like not feel like I had a community at all. Gotcha. So it was like, oh, this is a real need I have to figure out. Like, where are my people? Mm -hmm. uh, but in doing that, just realizing that there were other people here that were also seeking that. That were gotcha. like, for one reason or another, not feeling like they had their community need fulfilled. So right. that's when I was like, all right, there's really like something here. And... I think a lot of people just feel marginalized for one reason or another mm -hmm. and have been quiet about it. Mm -hmm. So giving people a place that they can be safe, whether it's because they pole dance or they do something else that's considered taboo, possibly right. part of the LGBTQ community, right. or honestly so much of the black community, which mm -hmm. is like seems crazy to me because it's a majority black city, but right. uh, there's just this real feeling of not being included by so many people that's mm -hmm. like, well... I'm feeling that in a big way. So how do I get to feel included myself, but also help other people solve that problem? Right. And then maybe I have a business. Gotcha. No, and I saw that, you know, also in the Kickstarter campaign and also on your website that your classes and, you, and, and the services you offer for anybody that comes from what they look like, what they yes. sound like, what, you know, what uh, part of the community they come from or mm -hmm. where the case may be. So I appreciate that as well. So I know we talked about, you know, Gary at score and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I, w I want you to kind of, because he actually introduced us and stuff like that yes. via email and stuff yeah. like that. So talk about everything that Gary has done and score and just yeah. kind of hype them up a little bit. Oh, yeah. So like <laughs> I said, um, I only reached out to score because my first business coach told me to. Mm -hmm. gotcha. <laughs> but I'm so glad that she did. She was totally right. In the very beginning, the most powerful thing of meeting with Gary was just that I hadn't shared my ideas for this business with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so being forced to talk about that with a stranger, but also a supportive stranger, was very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, like someone that I didn't feel judged by, that I just knew this is a mentor. He's here to help me with my ideas. So even just the process of like communicating that and starting to get better at talking about this and what I was really doing mm -hmm. was really meaningful. And then also, uh, I'm a very goal-oriented person, so it just helps to have a person be like, all right, we're meeting again in three weeks. Like, you need to have these pieces of your 
your business plan done. Gotcha. Uh, which I just don't have as a solo entrepreneur. I don't have a boss telling me right. to have it on the desk in two weeks. So I've kind of learned I need to create that accountability okay. in other ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, a SCORE mentor is a great way to do that. It's all right. Like, here's someone. They need this for me. Now I, I've got to do it. I can't let those other things in my life sneak in first. Gotcha. And um, whenever I've had specific questions, it's been very, very useful. Like, can you recommend an accountant? Can you recommend someone to look over my business plan? Do you have recommendations for press contacts? Like things like that. Uh, Even if he doesn't know the answers, because there's this larger score network, he has his internal network he can reach out to, and there's basically always been someone with an answer. Gotcha. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And so I want to ask you this, and you know, as somebody who uh, sits on the board of a nonprofit you're familiar with, Hot Foot Honeys. Oh, are you? I do sit yes, on the board of Hot Foot Honeys. I love the Hot Foot Honeys. <laughs> right. And shout out to Mary Ann Bell shout out. Yes. and the whole crew there. Uh, so I'm, I'm very familiar with, you know, Mary Ann writing grants and stuff like that. Yeah. And also having us, you know, contact, you know, state legislatures about mm-hmm. funding the arts and stuff like that. So I want to ask you this, you know. Being part of the founder and owner of Bendy Beast and the art space here in the city, why is it important for for the state and, and any other organization to fund the arts, you know, yeah. not just here in Memphis, but across the state? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a really great question, right? Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, so often arts are just considered an unimportant thing. Like right. they're kind of like the icing on the cake. Right. You know, like the really important stuff has to come first, like the real work. Mm-hmm. But honestly, art uh, is often what makes a culture great, right? Like right. thousands of years down the line, like when we dig things up out of the ground, it's like the art of the old cultures that remains. So right. there's this level of real importance that I'm just not sure why we can't give it that in current society. Mm-hmm. Right. But the level of joy it brings to people's lives, I think, is just the value. And if you can let someone take one dance class a week, that might be the best part of their week. And that is a huge part of why I transitioned to teaching. Like when I first started teaching pole, I'll never forget. It was like the second or third class I'd ever taught. And I felt like a fraud as a teacher. I was so nervous. (laughs) And this woman came up to me at the end of class and she was like, your class is the best part of my week. Uh, I went with my daughter to the playground and like practiced what we learned on the pole there. And I mean, I got chills and I was like, no one has ever come out of a design meeting with me and been like, this was the best part of my week. (laughs) (laughs) And so that, that was when I realized how much power was in dance was mm-hmm. right there. It was like uh, something about this is powerful enough that she just said it was like the best part of her week. Like, um, how do we allow people to experience that? You know, it's often pretty simple. You don't need a lot of equipment to dance. Often you don't need any equipment. You can do it in a McDonald's parking lot. You just need funding for the instructors and for some basic stuff, and you right. can give a massive amount of joy to a community. I, have, I hear that, and I 100% agree with you. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that for sure. So I want to ask you this, because I believe all entrepreneurs have a superpower. What's yours? Oh, boy. Uh... <laughs> I would say my superpower is overthinking. Okay. Uh, yeah, and okay. that it can it can become a negative, but like in its superpower state, I'm just very very good at planning. Gotcha. So I tend to think like a hundred steps ahead, which I think is necessary. Mm-hmm. I think if you only think through the short term, your foundation just won't be that good. And I learned this in my twenties in that business. We we didn't 
think far enough ahead. So I think at this point, my superpower is really just trying to plan all of the stuff that will be needed for a very long period of time and then mm-hmm. trying to solidify things in the beginning and not cut corners. Uh, like spend money where you need to spend money in the beginning. Do the mm-hmm. things in the beginning right. right. And, uh, and, and think about what those long-term effects will be. Because I think if you don't plan for the long-term effects and you just let yourself get carried by the wave, mm-hmm. the wave can take you down. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you work on the front end? So before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life podcast, mm-hmm. powered by the Binge Podcast Network. You gave great advice that Startup Nation can definitely chew on as soon as this episode is over. But now I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because look, there's an entrepreneur out there that's on the ropes getting ready to quit or they're afraid to start. Yes. And so if Liz, if you would give them some words of motivation to keep moving forward. Oh yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm just going to go Nike right now. Like just do it. There Mm -hmm. is no other advice. Like you have to trust yourself because there will be so many naysayers in your life. There will be so many people that are like, that's not safe. That's not going to work. And then there will be your own internal demons that are telling you the same thing. That are like, this is crazy. Don't do it. And you just have to shut that all down. You just have to stay with yourself and your vision and what you want to get done. And that's what's going to power you. And don't forget the vision. I often have days where I do forget. And luckily at this point, I have enough people around me that will come back and say my own words at myself. (laughs) So tell your vision to other people too because they'll do that for you so that in your negative moments, They'll be like, no, it's about this. Uh, So yeah, stay true to your vision. Tell your people about your vision and let them lift you up and help you get there. I hear that. So that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Did Mm -hmm. you enjoy being on? Oh, this has been so great. Thank you for having me. Oh, no worries. All right, Startup Nation. So here's my final take. One of the reasons I love entrepreneurs like Liz is because not only is she running a great business, but she's also a teacher at heart. And she she doesn't take that position lightly. On your path to entrepreneurship, Startup Nation, sometimes you you're, you become that teacher or that educator, if you will, because you're trying to educate the marketplace about your product and service. And Liz does that very well. And that's why she's doing very well in her business and why Bendy Beast is going to go really far. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.
What up, Startup Nation? Did you get great value from today's episode? How about a not only a clip from our next episode, but how about some bonus content from this episode? But let's share a little bit of the clip from next episode. I feel one of the things I say on Instagram all the time is our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our actions, and our actions create our world, including our bodies. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to business or money or food or our body image, I think they're all directly linked. I think the way we do one thing is how we do many things. That Startup Nation is my good friend, Betty Jean Bell, the badass in chief herself. So if you want to get that content as soon as it's available, go ahead and subscribe to the Startup Life podcast on any of your podcast platforms. So that way, when that episode's available, it'll be right there waiting for you. But don't go anywhere, Startup Nation, because we have bonus content from Liz Kenmark's episode. But let me go ahead and cut out now. Once that content is over, get out of here. You got a company to grow. All right. So Liz, let me ask you this, because I read an article in The Guardian where uh, there was a review of A Midsummer Night's Dream at the Bridge uh, Theater in London. And in the article, there's a picture of Gwendolyn Christie, who played Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with Game of Thrones, I'm not really okay, at okay, all, but okay. it's okay. But it's, it's a celebrity, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. And so the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want to ask you this: Are you know for your industry, and, it, and you said it's kind of in its infancy, it's still growing yes, and stuff yeah. like that. Is it a good thing that celebrities get into it or not? The reason I ask yeah. that is, is this because. Like the the pro is like they're celebrities, they bring exposure to mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. Yeah. But the downside could be maybe somebody signs up for one of your classes and they say, Oh, I wanna do this yeah. like she did just automatically. Yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. nah, we gotta work on the fundamentals mm-hmm. first. So I guess I wanna ask you yeah. that question. And, and, and any experiences you had yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah, well I've recently gotten that um I don't know what it is, but Jennifer Lopez is doing some movie right now that okay. she's doing Poland. And okay. like I'm so bad at keeping up with celebrities. <laughs> <Fair> enough. <laughs> but uh, things like that come at me, like people start sending me all this stuff, and my gut reaction is that like I'm super jaded and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, pole is literally my whole life. I already know all these things. But um, I have learned to really shut that voice down in myself because okay. if, there, if, if that is the thing that gets someone excited about pole, mm-hmm. I'm thrilled. Like, okay. to me, if they follow celebrities and that is the piece that makes them think this is cool, I want to try it, then I am for it. Like, that is still helping lift me up. So I have this, like, deep-seated part of me that's like, I wish you were finding it for the reasons that I found it, <laughs> but uh, that's actually really silly. Like, everyone has their own journey, um, and just because they're looking for something else doesn't mean that they won't sort of land in the same empowered place that's gotcha. what I was able to enjoy so much. So. Yeah, I am glad for it. Okay. Uh, so the other thing you said about people wanting to just do what they can do, mm-hmm. that happens all the time anyway, not because of celebrities, but because of Instagram. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. When I started poll, Instagram wasn't even a thing, but now people follow, this is a huge piece of what keeps the community together, is mm-hmm. looking at other people's photos and videos on Instagram. Got it. And all the time people will bring in a video and be like, she did it, it looks so easy. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm like, she made it look so easy because she's one of the best of the best. And right. that's the work she does is to make that look effortless. Right. So because of Instagram, that's something that I think all of us instructors are up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, students will go two different routes. Like there are the ones that will accept the fact that it takes work to get there. Mm-hmm and they'll put in the work and then there are the people that'll just be frustrated and they won't come back um but that's just kind of the way it is kind of the nature of the business right yeah yeah for sure for sure uh so that's it that's all i have so thank you so much